Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, August 8th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A. Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, we have brought to you over 120 poets from 14 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do that with your support. And you can support us by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. With us today is Sarah Lisi, with whom we will be discussing her poem, Exhalations to My Heavenly Hounds, and my poem, The Silent Activist. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of August 9th. On Monday, August 9th, from 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Playing Clean open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting the Loop Writing Workshop with Carl Scott. You can find out more information at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. Again, that's at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. On Tuesday, August 10th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Hard Time Stemper Writing Workshop. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, White Whale Bookstore will be hosting their Hemingway's 2021 Summer Poetry Series Week 8 with Veronica Corpus, Richard Gadget, Monica Prince, Dan Shapiro, and Lawrence Ray. You can find out more information at whitewhalebookstore.com forward slash events. Again, that's at whitewhalebookstore.com forward slash events. From 8 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Alexa Lash and Kiana Major will be hosting their creatively on-distance open mic. You can find out more information at Major Muse on Instagram. Again, that's at Major Muse on Instagram. From 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting their Poets Playground Playing Dirty Open Mic via Instagram Live at Poets underscore Playground underscore. Again, that's at Poets underscore Playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Poetry Center San Jose and Works San Jose Art and Performance Center will be hosting their well-read open mic featuring Asha and Lenora Simonovis. 
You can find out more information at PCSJ.org. Again, that's at PCSJ.org. On Wednesday, August 11th from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Drew Moore Baltimore will be hosting the World Tour Poetry Club. You can find out more information at DoMoreBaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. Again, that's at DoMoreBaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Hudson Valley Writers Center will be hosting an evening with Jennifer Jen, Barbara Ross, and Heidi Seaborn. You can find out more information at writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's at writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. From 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their poetry workshop with Louis Vet Resto. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops.html. Again, that's at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops.html. On Thursday, August 12th, from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Quince Orchard Library will be hosting their poetry evenings. And you can find out more information and register at mcpl.libnet.info forward slash events. Again, that's at mcpl.libnet.info forward slash events. From 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting their Nuijinan Scout Talent with CJ Grids, which showcases indigenous youth between 13 and 25 via Instagram Live. You can find out more information and RSVP at Nuijinan TV on Instagram. Again, that's at Nuijinan TV on Instagram. That's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N TV. Again, that's at N-W-E. J-I-N-A-N-T-V on Instagram. From 8 to 10 p.m. Central Daylight Time, the South Dakota State Poetry Society will be hosting their Electronic Poetry Garden. You can find out more information at artssouthdakota.org forward slash event. Again, that's at artssouthdakota.org forward slash event. On Friday, August 13th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information and register by messaging via Instagram the host, Andrina Leanne, at survivor.andrina.leanne. Andrina is spelled A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A. Leanne is spelled L-E-E-A-N-N-E. From 7 p.m. West Africa time, Rossiano and Worm and Nepal Flower will be hosting their Coronaverses open mic via Instagram Live at Graciano and Worm. That's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's at G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. From 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Worcester Public Library will be hosting their open mic. You can find out more information by going to mywpl.asabetinteractive.com forward slash calendar. Again, that's at mywpl.asabetinteractive.com forward slash calendar. 
That's spelled M-Y-W-P-L dot A-S-S-A-B-E-T-I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-I-V-E dot com forward slash calendar. From 4.30 to 5.30 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their virtual open mic for youth ages between 8 and 18 with Teresa Knowles. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting Career Creatives Workshop. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Sacred Voices will be hosting their monthly open mic. You can find out more information and register at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 420-530-409-299-992. Again, that's at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 420-530-409-299-992. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting their Lunario Poetico, their Spanish language open mic, Microfono Abierto en Español. You can find out more information at lapoetsociety.org forward slash events. Again, that's at lapoetsociety.org forward slash events. On Saturday, August 14th from 8 to 9.30 p.m. India Standard Time, our past poet guest, Umesh Mohikar, will be hosting his Let's Unmesh Life open mic. You can find out more information at Let's Unmesh Life on Instagram. Again, that's at Let's Unmesh Life on Instagram. On Sunday, August 15th from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Writing for Happiness and Stress Relief for those between the ages of 12 and 14. You can find out more information, again, at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Keep the Mic On will be hosting their weekly poetry event. You can find out more information at keepthemicon.com. Again, that's at keepthemicon.com. And now let us welcome our Poet Guest of the Week, Sarah Lisi. Hi, Sarah. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to, to be a guest this week. Cool. Thank you. You brought with you your poem, Exhalations to My Heavenly Hounds. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, so I am a master's student at Ohio University. I'm studying journalism here, but also taking some photography classes. Um, and I am Native American. I'm a member of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Cree Indians. And I am also Navajo, uh, mm -hmm. Diné. And uh, I'm spirited, uh, which means I embody both the masculine and feminine spirit, which I feel like would be kind of helpful before I dive into my poem. It explains a, a little bit about it, but um, cool. yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. 
Thank you. Yeah, I, I knew you were part Dine because of where we, we met, uh, but I didn't know that you were mixed. And I think a lot of people don't really know that indigenous peoples travel quite a lot, uh, the different nations, and there's been uh, a lot of intermingling. Yeah, and I, and I think it's interesting, too, that I can only be an enrolled member for one of the tribes, you know, and that yeah. was something that my mom had to think about, too, and which tribe should I enroll my children in, you know, because there were both, my sister and I are both Navajo um, and Chippewa Cree, so, you know, ultimately it came down to, to land and, and economics, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting, too, and how many people we have left on, on family members on that reservation. So, yeah. Yeah, and I and I think recognizing that all tribal nations are different too, you know, I, I think it's fascinating. And I honestly want to learn more. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind sharing which one she ultimately enrolled you guys in? Oh, yeah. I'm a member of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Cree uh, Indians, and so is my sister. She actually chose for both of us to do that because of, of oil money that we have there. We have land on the the Navajo Reservation, but nothing that really profited us money. So it came down to that, you know, it, mm. it potentially could rack in more money there. And yeah, it's it's, it's an, an interesting choice. And I know it, it weighed on her too to decide, you know, should one of my daughters be enrolled in the Navajo tribe or, you know, not. So Right, right. Who, what entity made it impossible for you to have both? I wish that I could tell you, but that's not something I've really dived into. I've noticed, you know, that at least while reading, doing my research, you know, about how different titles are given, like in in journalistic articles, you know, it will say enrolled member, blah, 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 or has ancestry with, you know, Navajos. But I honestly don't know when this was established, if it's something from like, the 1800s or 1900s I, I genuinely don't know but I think that's worth looking into and I wonder if that could ever potentially change yeah yeah it's because um, you know as as Americans we can depending on the country with which we have relationships and depending on that relationship we could have dual citizenship right so I feel like it's similar in this respect because of how the very fraught nature of the relationship between the U.S. and indigenous nations. It must be frustrating to have to operate in the system where you have to, you know, again, choose between some kind of binary. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways there's still some, it's lacking in in a lot of areas, and I think that's definitely one of them. But yeah, I... I genuinely don't know. And when I asked my mom about it, too, you know, why am I only enrolled in this? She really didn't have a have a good answer either, but, yeah. Well, going back to poetry, in terms of your own poetry, uh, when did you start getting into that? I had a seventh grade teacher who spent the entire semester teaching poetry. Mm-hmm. She, I remember learning about Edgar Allan Poe. We mm-hmm. all had to memorize the Jabberwocky and had to learn how to write different types of poetry. I, I think I, we had to write something that followed the same form as Annabelle Lee. I think that was the moment when I was like, I love reading and writing. Like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. 
And I think, yeah, I think it was that moment there. And then I went to high school and it was my junior year. I wrote a poem and my teacher loved it. And I was like, maybe this is something like that I I could potentially see myself doing. Mm -hmm. And then I went to the University of Mississippi and I took a couple of creative writing classes and I fell in love. My TA, she was getting her MFA in poetry. So she kind of leaned more into poetry, teaching our classes more poems than I think short stories, Mm -hmm. uh, which I was super excited about. And then, you know, I I took more classes and the University of Mississippi has a really good English department. Mm -hmm. KSA Lehman, his book was on the New York Times, most notable book of the year, I think 2018. And I got to talk with him and, you know, a lot of other great writers have come out of there, but yeah. Anyway, that was a tangent, but to go back, I would say seventh grade. Um, okay. Wow, wow. Did you write your first poem in seventh grade as well? I think so. Unless, you know, in like first grade, I wrote a poem for class, but I don't remember that. I would. So I would say, yeah, seventh grade. Okay, okay. And that, that was, as you said, part of your course, right? The part of exploring poetry as a subject matter. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you remember what you wrote about? <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, what do seventh graders care about? I I have no idea what, what I wrote about. I just remember really enjoying myself. Mm. But that would be something interesting to dive into my seventh grade archives when I go back home. See yeah. what I was grappling with. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Because I spoke with someone who wrote about different language systems it was really interesting and she was really young when she wrote that too and I was like what that does not sound like something that you know a uh, person under 10 would think about you know but you, you just yeah. never know that's true I mean well like we were talking about earlier my memory is it's not great so I I couldn't tell you hopefully I wrote something you know fascinating like that but <laughs> I don't know Yeah, yeah. Let me know if you find it. (laughs) Okay, I will. I'll keep you posted. (laughs) Cool. Um, Now, going to your poem that you brought with you, um, I guess if you don't mind reading it for us now, and then we can talk about it. Yeah, of course. Exhalations to my heavenly house. Once again, I muddied the river of her days, left my footprints upon her shore, to where my love cannot swim or stand without sinking. Root by root, petal by petal, foot by foot, the odium of my essence, the anchor to our vessel, too burdensome for most angels to bless. Father, mother, and no son, two parental figures that pray over me on two knees for approval, swords in their hands, bubbling wounds on the outskirt of my heart, fires set ablaze by Catholic school education burn the prism of my mind. Because every month, my love blooms new roses, delicate mouths of petals to bless the altar of my hips, strawberries to sanctify my mouth against hers. We form togetherness within the confines of my mess, of her mess, of the generations before us with unholy water hands made pure by rivers we created with our tongue. Thank you. 
I love the imagery from this poem, and it is very subtle. Uh, some of it, uh, I think, like one of the first questions I had was this reference to my heavenly hounds, because I feel like at least in some Native American culture, hounds represents something quite important, and I don't know if that's what you meant by that. Yeah, I mean. I think like I was wrestling with here these people that I love, you know, and I, I classify them as heavenly, you know, my spirituality, both like, you know, learning about Father and Mother Mary and Jesus and everything, but also thinking about my own parents and me coming out to them, you know, and I view them in this in this heavenly way, but also, you know, the way that they may react to certain things that I do or the way that I am can also hurt and sting. And that's ultimately, you know, what I was trying to to capture too with some of the imagery in the second stanza and, and, you know, hounds too. I wasn't thinking of it necessarily in the Native American standpoint, Mm. but just what they represented at least when when I think of hounds. Okay. How do you think of hounds then? I think of them as kind of like a more tamed beast in a way. And I think that they can hurt you, they can bite you, mm-hmm. but they can also be an asset in some ways too. It just, it just depends. Okay. okay. How do you think of hugs? Me, I, I guess the way that people invoke the word hounds always has sort of like the devilish connotation, especially in Christianity. Yeah. So I think hounds has this, in general, a negative context. But one of the things I like to do also is to just reassociate words or redefine them or try to highlight certain meanings that are less well-known in the popular culture. I think that's why, I guess I should have gone back. I guess that the way that I was viewing hounds in this particular instance with the heavenly in front is the way that I described. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I think I was trying to create like a new sort of image of how, you know, Mm. like they don't always have to necessarily be completely devilish. There could be another side too. And I guess that's ultimately my outlook on things, you know, everything has a good quality too, maybe even how. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially if, you know we're dog lovers <laughs> it's like nothing that's true wrong. there's gotta be a good part right <laughs> yeah. when did you write this poem i think i wrote it three months ago okay if i had to guess okay. within the past couple of months okay i don't know what exactly like sparked this poem mm. i mean besides you know what what i guess i was kind of going through here in college you know i kind of try to like grapple with this idea of like coming out and and telling my parents and grappling with this idea of you know catholic school education everything that i've been taught and how i'm going against all of that you know mm-hmm. um and so i i really tried to to capture that there mm-hmm. um, so yeah i guess in a way too the heavenly hounds could resemble how I could be viewed, you know, within the church. I could be a hound in some people's eyes, but, you know, there's still some good. I don't think, you know, 
sexuality should should classify whether you're you're good or not. But I think there's it's clearly a still a big topic of, of conversation within the, the church. Yeah. Something I'm still struggling with. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think with the current Pope, he's much more open to recognizing mm-hmm. uh, the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Just, I agree. He's still, you know, like we should welcome them and love them. But in terms of like marriage, that's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> At least with this Pope. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I always wonder when, you know, somebody who's deemed progressive within a system, if they don't go far enough because they don't want to go far enough, individually speaking, or because of the fact that, you know, they are being stopped by other members of the system. Yeah. I think it's so complex, too. There's really no way to know. (laughs) Um, Yeah what's exactly going on inside and how much change can be done. I mean, I think, yeah, I think the current Pope is very accepting and, and welcoming, you know, and I think there are a lot of people within the system that's like, it has to be this way. Only men and women can marry. And, you know, and I think that's so deeply rooted in the church. I don't know if it will ever change, Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's very good that we have this supposedly <laughs> separation between church and state, supposedly. <laughs> supposedly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> Somewhat. Less and less so, it seems. <laughs> yeah. I would agree. I find it interesting the way that you began this poem, like, in this water reference. I muddy the river of her days, left my footprint upon her shore to where my love cannot swim. And I couldn't tell if the my love reference is, or the her even, if this is you that you are referencing in the third person or if it's actually someone else. When I wrote this, I was meaning it for someone else. Not myself, but I think if you do read it that way, it can have a, a different meaning for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think it could be somewhat ap- applicable, but yeah, that wasn't my intention when I first wrote it. Okay. okay. Like I said, I just, I just love the imagery. And it felt the person that you're referencing, or the entity, let's say, that you're referencing in the first stanza is different or it became something else uh, in the third stanza. Yeah, I agree. It almost seems like it could be a part of a possibly different poem. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I think at first when I was writing this poem, I was envisioning a different outcome for the poem. And I think that's what makes poetry work too, is when you finish a poem and you're surprised by what you just wrote. Yeah, And I think, I think that was the case definitely with this poem. Yeah, it just it just kind of came out. I just felt like there was a lot of, you know, kind of baggage, I guess. And I felt like the sinking imagery would really, re- really work well with what I was feeling um, in regard to the situation. And then, yeah, and then the end, I, I don't know. I feel like at that time I was reading a lot of Natalie Diaz. I don't know if you're familiar with her uh, her recent collection, it was 
post-colonial love poem. Mm. And it, it, I think it, it inspired this poem. A lot of the imagery is kind of similar to, to what she describes. And I, I think I was very influenced by her work uh, when I sat down to write this, mm. at least within the, the last stanza, I think. Right. So, right. Yeah, I... So don't know if I've heard poems from her latest collection. Her work is, is fascinating. Last semester, since I'm in the J school and I had to write a research paper, and he was like, you know, you're going to be married to this topic for the entire semester, so it better be something you're interested in. Right. And my only requirement was that it had to be related to communication in some form. So I was like, great, poetry, even though it's not journalism, poetry. And uh, I chose to analyze um, two-spirited or queer indigenous poets' work. And since I only had a semester, I chose Natalie Diaz and Tommy Pico. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but his is more kind of like spoken word. And um, it's more in your face and easier to comprehend. Mm. And and it reads almost like in some form, like he has some like text message lingo. And and it's really fun. But I mean, some of the subject matter is is more is serious. It's not like, oh, this is a super lighthearted poem. It's it's not, mm. but it's fascinating. They both kind of deal with this idea of erasure, indigenous erasure. Mm. Not that my poem at all touches this, but I thought, you know, if if you have time to read their work, I definitely would. I don't know why, but I keep missing opportunity to see uh, Tommy Pico. I mean. Personally, I know why, because I'm just too busy. Going back to your poem, I did not pick up on, even though you kind of made this explicit mention of Catholic school, like, until you mentioned Catholic school, I completely missed out on the point of father, mother, and no son until you just read it again and talked about it a little bit. I was wondering why uh, you decided to include this middle stanza which seems like an intrusion into your reveries about someone else and then yourself yeah i think that that was one of the main burdens in my life was coming out to my parents like at the time when i wrote this poem it was something that i needed to get on paper in order to kind of have everything resonate with me realize like what's going on and so when i sat down to write this poem I knew that I kind of wanted to address that. And mm-hmm. in some ways, like the first stanza of my love not being able to swim or stand without thinking, it's kind of like, these are possible reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this idea of not having a relationship, being able to be blessed by the church, by quote unquote angels. And mm-hmm. um, I, I do think that the second stanza is kind of like a disruption. It's like, you know, this, I'm describing my love, and there are things getting in the way, but then I kind of return to this, like, last idea of, but you know what, it's okay, like, I, I'm accepting of it, I'm happy, my love is still blooming roses, and it's messy, it's always been messy, but I'm okay with it, and I do think that, you know, my love isn't as dangerous or bad as I've been taught to believe, and that's kind of how I think that's what surprised me mm. at the end of the poem is that I came to this acceptance within myself and, and who I am. And 
So I do think this poem holds a lot of importance to to me still, because some days I'm still grappling with what's been ingrained in me since Catholic school education. I I went to Catholic school all my life until college, so it's been a really big part of, of my life. Right, right. Yeah, that is hard to put aside, isn't it? Yeah, especially when you have a devout Catholic father and grandfather and, you know, family. Mm. Um, my mom's more, I mean, she grew up Methodist, but she understands more so. And she was the one that kind of told me about what two-spirit means, you mm. know. And I think that that term also helped me come to understand and accept who I am. Right. Do you think she told you that because she sort of suspected? She told me after I told her. Ah. She's actually going back to school to get her degree, and she did her paper or presentation on two-spirited people. Okay. And um, <laughs> so she, she's almost an expert now. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's um, great. But, but yeah, I, I think she did, she did tell me that. She suspected it when I was younger, you know? And, mm-hmm. But she was like, I'm not sure. And now she can be sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think it depends, right? Some people are bi. And so it's not as clear cut. And we do have to decide for ourselves what we want, especially when it comes to relationships, right? Because, again, if a person is bi, to me, I'm like, yeah, you have a lot more choices, um, despite the horrible burden that society puts on you because of that. But just like statistically speaking, you have a lot more chances at survival. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. My mom made a joke. She's like, I wouldn't want to go into a bar with like a bi friend because then they could, they have way more options, you know, they're going to have like mom. Uh, But yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, especially if they're super attractive and then you're like, ah, I'm done for. Yeah, it's like, it's not, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back to the, the, the third stanza of your poem, I'm guessing, especially the middle bits of the third stanza, that you began to talk about actually your vagina. Yeah, and I feel like that's ultimately, like Natalie Diaz's last book was very kind of dealt with like, things erotically and I was like could I push these bounds you know Mm -hmm. could I potentially write something like this do I give myself permission and I did it you know and I didn't know that I would ever be talking about it you Mm -hmm. know but I think we're all like sexual beings and I just felt like it was something that I can address now in my work and I'm already showing who I am to people Mm. and you know I want to be accepted but you know if it doesn't happen I'm gonna be okay with it and so what's the harm in talking about myself like this or about love like this Mm. um I think yeah I ultimately just gave myself permission and and I did it but yeah you're you're right (laughs) in thinking that Okay, yeah, because, you know, I sent you my poem basically based on the the stanza. I'm like, if I read this wrong, it's going to be awkward. So I I tried to be subtle about it, but then I also was like, but I want people to 
know what I'm talking about, you know? Right. So I'm glad that it came across that way because that's how I wanted it to read. It did, it did. And I think it is still subtle enough that people who are not as well-versed in interpreting poetry will be like, oh, how pretty. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that's it. And that's fine as well. I think different people take from poems different things you know so and I think the poem works on multiple levels and I I enjoy like again now that we're reading it together I feel like it is circular in that you go back to your lover at some point uh, with the last two phrases yep so yeah I think that's ultimately what I wanted this poem to kind of like be about with me really wrestling with this idea of my my new love and my new found identity, I guess. And that's ultimately where I, where I landed. It was at this idea of love and the love that we have with each other, but also the love of generations before us, you know, and how much they had to deal with too, how much unacceptance they had. I mean, it's a subtle nod to, you know, mess of the generations before us, but you know, I still wanted to include that I'm not the first to come out. I'm not the first to experience a love that I felt like wasn't acceptable. But, you know, it's it's okay. And I feel like knowing that people before me have gone through this and lived through, you know, way tougher circumstances, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So. Do you mind if I yeah. ask you what you were referencing when you said in this phrase of the generations before us with unholy water, hands made pure. Like the hands made pure was what I was wondering about. So I wanted to tie the unholy water back to Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And you walk in and and there's holy water. But, you know, the water too, thinking erotically, also ties into how people could, could view the act of, making love you know mm. it, it's unholy um and the water that's made but i wanted to say that it can be made pure it's it's not as unholy as at least what i've been taught you know mm. and we can make it pure by being just having it be like a true love having it be respectful and just committing to this act of love mm. Mm. and i wonder yeah. if as an indigenous person, having this imposed religion, having the overwhelming effect it has on your life, how that affects you. Because especially during during early contact, one of the things that the church was always trying to sort of quote-unquote civilize the indigenous peoples. Yet in this process really um, brought a lot of pain because they wanted to kind of dictate what is acceptable even if it actually doesn't work for the society that people are living in for the communities with geographically speaking you know environmentally speaking all of these things I think that's a really interesting point and that's something that I was looking at when learning more about you know two-spirited myth and how two-spirited people were viewed before colonialization. And it's quite fascinating that in multiple tribes, two-spirited people were 
respected. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they were shamans. You know, Mm -hmm. they weren't seen as how some Christian, like, Catholics viewed, you know, homosexuals or someone that embodied two different spirits, masculine and feminine. They weren't revered. Mm -hmm. And, but then when, you know, the settlers came, all of that shifted. Assimilation happened and that idea that you could love someone of the same gender, it wasn't accepted anymore. And I was reading in some, it was someone's dissertation. I don't know who, but they came to the conclusion that there were these creation stories that did have two-spirited people in them. And you could see that the way that they were written, they were respected and they were a vital part of the community and Mm -hmm. they held important roles. And then once the settlers came in, those stories, the connotations of two-spirited people shifted. They mm-hmm. were frowned upon. They were ravaged with disease and, you know, or they committed a crime or so- something where you were like, oh, I don't want to do that. Mm. So it's, it's interesting how the narrative really shifted. And, you know, and I think it's important to uncover more of what, the views were before colonialization, that there are still important views that hold weight today, even though they were diminished back then. Mm. Um, and so I, I'm interested in, in reading more about it because I feel like, you know, not enough people know about that or even have heard the term two-spirited. Right, right, yeah. And I, I think uh, even if people have heard of the term, I, I'm not sure if they truly understand what it means and what kinds of people especially in the modern context that applies to yeah I I think I think it's an important thing to be discussed you know and I think well I think a lot of indigenous issues also should be should be brought to the forefront you know and I I just feel like I grew up in the suburbs of St. Louis and so I wasn't really around any indigenous people besides ones that lived under my roof and I think it's important, too, to, you know, have these different ideas shared, even though you may not be surrounded by Indigenous people. It wasn't really until I started researching things myself that I, I came to understand, you know, my culture and mm-hmm. different beliefs of other tribal nations. Mm-hmm. I think in this shared experience of dealing with the horrifying experiences of, of being colonized, I mean, there's always divides between people, period. It's just no matter what. But having an outside force like that to fight against in some ways is a unifying force. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I don't know if it's bad that I immediately thought of like coronavirus too as like an equivalent is that, you know, we're all dealing with this. Every country in the world is dealing with this, you know, and in some ways we're all kind of, being unified, like we need to come together, figure out how to how to prevent this. But you know, everyone has their own tactics and things that work better. But you know, it's a virus that it, it's inevitable. It's an enemy that's inevitable. Yeah. I don't know if this. I don't think settlers were ne- inevitable in a way, but I mean, I guess it was bound to happen at some point. You know, someone's going to stumble upon new lands, but new lands to them. Right. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, we are migratory animals, after all, humans. Right. 
Yeah, and I think the Americas wasn't settled in one goal, and and there were also the scientifically speaking, the out of Africa narrative also was not just in one goal. There were different, you know, people uh, leaving and people expanding, going to different parts of the world at different times. Uh, similar with the settling of the Americas, and I don't, I don't mean by colonizers, but by indigenous peoples uh, as well. So. Yeah, I mean, there's always a curiosity too to see what what's out there. What what do we not know? Um, so yeah, yeah, and the force of nature and and culture as well. It's not like people were always political animals from the beginning. Basically, yeah, you get two people and always power hungry and money yeah. hungry. You know, yeah. I think you'll yeah. find that anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I mean, like, a conflict will be a cause of migration uh, from the beginning of our existence from the, to the end, probably, and uh, I'm not sure. Always. Yeah, it's, it's kind of depressing. At the same time, it is part of the reasons that people migrate. I mean, the European settlers came here partly because of, of a need for religious freedom. I mean, they didn't really apply that to other people they encountered but <laughs> they yeah. did want that for themselves though <laughs> which is that's true there are a lot of factors definitely to, to migrate and I'm, I'm doing a research paper now too about these miners in the area I'm in Ohio now and a lot of coal mines around and you know it's interesting to see how towns really rose and fell because of the mines you mm-hmm. know work really brought people in yeah yeah, and and that's. I that's feel like important. we're so off topic now. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, it's cool though because I think migration is a very interesting topic that, again, we should talk about because it's not something that's modern. It's always happened. It's how we as a species populated the globe, is through migration. So it's yeah. not quite on the poem, but you know, <laughs> it, it's an interesting topic because. I think, especially in these days, as we are able to migrate so much faster now that we have to think even more carefully, if we can, about how our migration, how our settlement into new lands to us affect the people who already live there and also how the people who already live there for generations should think about how migration is just part of human existence and maybe be more tolerant of people who are desperate to find new ways of living that, you know, leave them in a safe space. Yeah. I do think it's important to, like, recognize, you know, who was there before you in this land. And, yeah, and and I do think migration is a part of life. I mean, the cliche of a baby bird leaving the nest, you know, it's going to happen. You're going to keep moving whether it's metaphorical or physical, you know, it's, mm. it's just how life is. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the, your third stanza, as I said before, <laughs> it's really because of the third stanza that I send you my poem. I was like, Ooh, not often. Do you see a poem about, or at least I haven't <laughs> come across many about the v- vagina. And so I'm going to send you my poem about my <laughs> the vagina as well. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I mean, I'm here for it. We need to celebrate those parts of us, right? You know, and there's, I think as long as we are okay with it, you know, then our audience will be okay with it. I mean, maybe they won't, but. <laughs> but yeah, I, think, I mean, the, the people who listen to it, who come back to it, I think will be okay with it. And I think it's sort of like the hounds that you put in the title is that it has a negative connotation, unfortunately, or at least it is very misunderstood. And it's good that people talk about it, especially people who possess those parts. Right. Yeah, I think it's all about the way that you view it and like rethinking the ways that you were taught. Are those actually accurate or can you make up your own meaning behind it can you find the good in something that you've always been told is bad and yeah I think hounds holds a lot of weight and I feel like it holds more weight now after this conversation (laughs) to me it it holds even more weight yeah yeah so I'm gonna read it and then we can talk about it and also in context the silent activist my loins burn for you Okay, it might be my UTI's attempt at breaking the fourth wall. This inner temple is often silent in its no less active stirrings that balloons in excitement, turns pink in exaltation, or red in defense from foreign invasions or monthly expulsions, though it longs for faithful pilgrims to prostrate, prostrate, prostrate in its presence, up and down, in and out of position. Oh, faster, faster, commands the priestess. Now hold. While she shakes the demons loose at the pinnacle of her shamanic trance, I'll have what she's having. I like one of that. Thank you. I, I, lo- <laughs> I loved the poem initially. When I first when I read the title, I was like, okay, okay. And then immediately we jump right in and I'm like, okay. And it's like almost like, okay, now I have to sit down. I'm really <laughs> invested here. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I loved it. And the ending too. Very, I love the quote. Um, <laughs> but for me, I guess like, like you, for me, the third stanza, the third stanza here, I thought your use of playing around you know, with the form here, with prostrate, the way that I read it, it was almost like in a, like a climaxing kind of manner. And I was like, wow, this is the way that you describe it, I think really encapsulates what I think you want it to encapsulate. And I think the form here was, was really powerful. Also the caps too, you know, faster. And, but I'm also interested why you chose the title as well, the, the Silent Activist. What did that mean for you? Well, it often doesn't make any noises. And even though it changes a lot according to situation, uh, not only because of our monthly cycles, but also because of, you know, all the various, unfortunately, diseases or <laughs> problems associated. Or, you know, if it's, in the act of love making and you know sex and so it actually is quite alive right it has a life of its own in some ways but it doesn't often make sounds 
And yeah. I, and I feel like there's a lot of emphasis, especially in today's world where, you know, like with social media stars and things like that, it's all about the noise and not much about the action. And I'm one who is very pro-action, pro, you know, even if you don't talk about it, make a difference in your actions. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes the most beautiful things are the things not begging for attention, you know, yeah. like like flowers and, and things like that. So I do think our bodies like that are, are beautiful. And some the ones that aren't begging for attention, too, I think, I don't know, I, I I, now I'm like now I'm overthinking it I think but um, well cool no that definitely that makes sense when did you write this poem I'm gonna turn the tables on you <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I think it was early last year let me reference my uh, documents <laughs> <laughs> I had to do the same yeah it was a little bit over a year ago now okay. Do you think it still holds true? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the funny thing is I didn't have a UTI when I wrote this. (laughs) (laughs) It's not factual. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it doesn't always have to be. (laughs) Yeah. I think, like, my loins burn for you. The beginning really was just me being thirsty for someone. That's the way that I interpret it when I first read it. That's when I was like, oh, okay, I need to sit down. This is going to be something juicy, I feel. Like, I'm, you know, where is this going to take us? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, I, and I think the description was, was phenomenal. You know, I think you know what's being discussed, and, and I like how, how raw it was. I'm curious, though, about your use. You know, you talk about shaking these demons loose in this shamanic trance. I'm curious what you intended, you know, with these uses to priestess. What prompted you to do that? It's funny because when I read this, I was like, oh, yeah, the hounds. I think, I mean, speaking of hounds, I do feel like when we are, like, ovulating, we do feel hounded by our desires and that when those desires are being satisfied, it's often a calming effect. So I think when I said demon, when I wrote demon, that was what I meant. It can be very stressful to be in the middle of ovulation and you're like, oh my God, I just want this, this, and that. Yeah, I agree. So what do you do? You write a poem about it. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully do something else to satisfy. Oh, hopefully. (laughs) And, you know, it's it's funny because this poem was written before the shutdown. So (laughs) a year on, it's worse. Yeah. You're not wrong. I'm lucky I have a partner, but, you know, it's hard to, to find someone during these times, you know. If you don't. <laughs> yeah, people are like, I mean, there's a lot of online activity going on. I, I know plenty of people who are hooking up. I'm just like, all right, you brave people. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm I not mean, that brave. More power to them, I guess. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't think I would. I'd just ride it out. <laughs> 
Yeah, you kind of have to. Uh, I feel like just just for health reasons, I'm just like, um, especially if you are sensitive at all in your parts, and if you do encounter a UTI because of sexual activity, it might be difficult to get yourself treated because hospital beds or hospital, I mean, the entire healthcare system is just incredibly overstretched. So it's it's good to try to eliminate those risks as much as possible. That's true. Yeah. I guess my question too, so this was like one of the first eroticish poems that I've ever really like shared. And so I'm curious about your own experience, you know, writing about something, you know, I would say is personal that most people wouldn't share with the world. When did you ultimately decide yourself decide to give yourself permission to do this? to share a poem like this? I don't know exactly because I, I often write about things that appear to be sex but is not. I mean, even in this poem, this one is much more explicitly about um, sexual activities and s- sort of stay there or even end up there. Often my sex poems end up talking about other things. Like equal rights or feminism or even death. I can't remember all the things that I use sex as a metaphor for. But I I have written over the past couple of years explicit things. But even when I was younger, the last time I was writing poetry prolifically, I think I also wrote at least sensual things, if not sexual yeah, well, so when when did you write your first poem kind of about sex, and when did you share that? Oh my god, I don't know. I think, like, the more explicit ones probably over the past three years at some point. I've had some sort of Catholic-adjacent upbringing, but not strict Catholic upbringing. So my thoughts on sex is much more like, it's just something we do. Yeah, and it's it's a lot more exploratory. I mean, most people's sexual experiences are right because sex ed is so pathetic here in the states. We're kind yeah, of yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of left to our own devices, and it's not always a good thing because we we desperately need some guidance. Catholic school is even worse. It's like, well, don't have sex. All right, we're done. <laughs> don't have sex until marriage, and that's our education. So you miss out on a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. But uh, I I know plenty of Catholics who uh, really go the other direction, really go the other direction. Yeah, I mean, just because you're taught it at school doesn't mean that you're going to follow it. And I think the media can also play into that, you know, you see... 17 year olds on a tv show having sex in a car and you're like okay maybe it is okay if i'm 17 and i try this so i think other factors too influence it you know yeah so yeah yeah. definitely again it's like when you go in blind there could be so many different pitfalls right and just we don't know our boundaries until we hit it and sometimes that's too late 
I'm like sitting with that now. I'm like contemplating what are the boundaries? What have I hit that was too late? I think that statement is very powerful. Thank you. <laughs> that should be a line in your next poem. <laughs> <laughs> I might, I might, yeah. It could be very problematic given all the things that we've experienced over the past oh six seven years maybe a decade probably forever i don't know but certainly in talking about boundaries and respecting boundaries and acknowledging boundaries i'm glad that these conversations are being forced out in the open because uh, and and kind of highlighting the lack of education that we in general have as a population yeah i think that is that is an important thought. And I am glad we are having conversations too, you know, about boundaries. You know, I think that they can be definitely something serious and, and something that can be addressed. And I, I feel like, I mean, the more that we go on, the boundaries are, are being moved, you know? It's kind of like these things that happened in the past aren't okay. And I'm glad that that I am being born in this time. I'm being raised, brought up now as a 24-year-old in these times because I feel like good change is happening. I don't think that we're by any means near being done, but I think there is progress happening. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's very important to have these conversations, even if it's awkward conversations, that we need to have them. And I'm hoping that at some point, having had these initial conversations where we'll get into more nuanced conversations. Yeah. And to understand all the possibilities that are there and to realize that, again, each individual has their niche that they kind of occupy in terms of sexual tastes and, and preferences and and leanings and that if we you know keep to the principle of mutual respect that those are okay to explore yeah I agree I mean I think fundamentally what matters to us is respect and I think you know even if you may not understand like my grandpa bless his heart when I like came out to him he well at first those were hard conversations but then the conclusion was you know what, I just don't understand, but I love you. You're, you're my baby, and mm-hmm. that's, that's that, and I'm okay with it. You know, you don't have to fully understand, but as long as you still love and accept me, that's, that's all that I want, you know, and I think if the rest of the world is able to do that, like maybe we don't understand someone's culture or the way that they, they think about things, but if we can just be like, well, I accept you anyway and I and I don't think any differently of the way that you view things you know unless it's like something like terrible like murder but like I think I'm but I mean even then it's still like I don't understand how you did that but there has to be at least like some element of good still in you or at least my like little hopeful heart will <laughs> is hanging on to that right. um right. but yeah, I think the world could be a much better place too if we just try to find the good and accept even if we don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of forced 
uniformity and people who think, oh, our way is the best way, is the only way. And I'm like, "Eh, not really. Like, it's never been that. It's always been people make do with what they have. And what they have is different. Not only just geographically speaking, but again, the little preferences. The fact is we share so much in common, biologically speaking. It's a tiny percentage of our differences that make us so different. And it's such irony, I feel. It's true. I don't think I like fully like realized it until I went to another country where I didn't understand the language. And mm. I just noticed things or understood things by watching people's body language and mm. looking at their faces and seeing emotion. And it's, it's the same as where I live, where I've traveled to in the U.S. It's all, we all experience hurt, heartache, love, different types of trauma. We all go through these different things. And it's crazy that something so small can be so divisive and we forget that, you know, at the end of the day, we all all are going through something. We're all on our different journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think just living in such a fast-paced world, it's so easy just to forget that. Yeah, yeah. Some of the differences are so apparent, so in your face, right? And we kind of hang on to that. We're like, oh, yeah, that must be the reason rather than something more subtle or invisible yeah I feel like for me if someone someone's rude to me I like have to make sense of like why like what (laughs) what's going on like not like I'm gonna react and be mean back but it's like there has to be like something why you're treating me this way like did someone get your order wrong in Starbucks (laughs) or like what I I don't know I always like have to make sense of why and you know yeah. But sometimes you just gotta let it go too. You may yeah. never know why. Yeah. I, I think for a lot of us we just don't have the time to go try to figure out why. And yeah. there is a visceral reaction, right? Because when somebody is being rude to you and you're just like, What the you know? And, <laughs> and you can't help but react. So it's really nice that you actually take the time and like stop yourself and, and kind of think of the reason behind their actions that that are negatively affecting you that's very kind of you yeah I mean I'm also like pretty shy too so I'm not about to like say I don't know say anything that I don't mean that's my my main intention you know I hate when tempers are evident and I I don't want mine just to ever be evident I don't ever say anything that I will seriously regret and Mm. I just feel like I'm always conscious of that. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's again, it's very, very nice of you to pull back and, and to try to. For the most part, but you know, I'm still human. <laughs> right. I guess sometimes, you know, the the consciousness can fade, you know, but I try to make sure it's okay. Yeah, especially when you're tired, right? You're just like, God, uh, God. <laughs> That's the worst. You know, all bets are off when you're tired. Yeah, yeah. You're like, wrong day, buddy. True. So I really, really appreciate you taking time to talk with me about your poem today. And thank you so much for sharing this poem. It's a beautiful poem. I 
Yeah, well, thank you for sharing yours, too. Thanks, yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you for for having this poem that's like, ooh, she talked about hers, I'm going to talk about mine. <laughs> <laughs> so before I let you go, I would love for you to tell us, I don't know if you've been going to poetry open mics or what, if you have, if you have any ones that you recommend to people, please share with us. If not, just share with us how people can follow you on social media, website, whatnot. Yeah. So unfortunately, I haven't really been going to too many open mic nights. Thank you, graduate school, for giving me, like, no life. Um, I <laughs> Hopefully, I will be going to some. But yeah, you can follow me on let's see, Instagram. I'm S-F-L-I-E-S-E. On Twitter, it's my last name, L-I-E-S-E underscore Sarah, S-A-R-A-H. And what other social media? I mean, I have a Facebook, but I don't really use it. So you can't really follow me on there unless you want to be bored. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's pretty much all. I have a website, but that's mainly for my journalistic endeavors, and it needs to be a little updated. So, yeah, I think, I think those are the good main forms. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and for talking about these important issues. And, you know, and thank you for your podcast, too. I think, mm-hmm. I think it's important. We inspire more people to, to write and discuss poetry. Thank you. Thank you. As always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A. Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.